This week's Torah portion of Shalach Lakha means sinned on your behalf, and it's taken from Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, all the way to chapter 15, verse 41. Now, we know that this is the Torah portion which contains the story regarding the 12 spies, the ones that brought a bad report, which was 10, and the two that brought a good report, which was Joshua and Caleb. It's almost obligatory to sermonize and discuss that portion of the scriptures, but we're not going to do that this week. I'm going to go in a different direction. Instead, I'm going to talk about the reaction of the people. Let's go to Numbers chapter 14. All through that night, the entire community raised up their voices and the people wept. Why? Because of the ten that brought a bad report. You know, of course, they were leaders in the tribes. According to uh, some rabbinic scholars, these were the leaders over fifties. Because remember, when uh, Moses appointed leaders, some were over 10, some were over 50, some were over 100, some were over thousands, etc. These were the respected men that were over uh, 50 uh, people, 50s. And so, you know, they, they had clout, uh, they had respect, they had honor, they were wise men, they were elders, and people thought, hey, we can trust them. We can trust their report. We can trust their opinion. Um, you know, we, we, we need to respect our elders. We need to follow our elders. So the people, you know, it was kind of like the majority rules. Okay, 10 says not to, and 2 says to go ahead and do it. Well, we're going to side with the 10. Big mistake on their part. Because first of all, God promised this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this was the time that it was going to be fulfilled. And instead of trusting God, see, this whole idea of sending out the spies was not God's idea. God permitted it. It was in his permissive will, but it was not in his perfect will. He permitted it because it was kind of a catch-22 for Moses. The people said, hey, you know, we know we're about ready to enter the promised land, this land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by God himself. But we want to we know what this land is like. We, we, we really want to, you know, have like a little taste of what this land is like. So can we send some spies? And Moses is like, hang on, let me ask. I'll get back with you. You know, God ultimately wanted the people to trust him and said, I'm a good God who gives good gifts. I'm merciful. I'm compassionate. I didn't rescue you from the bondage of Egypt just to bring you into a place that was like a trailer park. I'm going to bring you into the glades. I'm going to bring you into the into the gated community. I'm going to bring you into a good place. But it's as if the people doubted. The people didn't believe it. And they really, um, you know, not that they didn't have reason to believe Adonai. They had every reason to believe him. But because of the actions of the gods that they knew, these gods were fickle. These gods were mischievous. These gods went back on their word. These gods played tricks, and they wanted to know for sure. They had a lack of faith because they were scared, because they were fearful. And so Moses is like, okay, he's thinking to himself, if I don't let them send spies, then they'll be like, hey, what are you trying to cover up? Uh, and uh, so if I do send them spies, it would give them a chance to to, to, you know, to be fearful and to doubt, I, you know, so it was kind of the lesser of two evils in Moses's thought to let them go ahead and send the spies. So God says, if you're going to send spies, I get to pick them. So God picked the spies to go. And these were righteous men when they set out on this mission. But uh, somewhere during the mission, uh, opinion of at least 10 of them changed. It's also interesting to note that Numbers chapter 
14, verse 1. All through that night, the entire community raised up their voices and the people wept because they thought, we can't take the land. Ten of them said we couldn't, so we believe the majority, and we're not going to go. We're, we're doomed here in the desert. We came out here for nothing. We've already spent like a year in the desert, and it was all for naught. This was Tishbaav. Tishbaav. What is Tishbaav? It was the ninth of Av. If you go down through Hebraic history, through Jewish history, you will see that virtually every catastrophe that has ever befell Israel happened on the ninth of Av, on Tishbaav. And it started with this episode of them being. Uh, not being able to go into the promised land because of their lack of faith, because of their rebellion, and for them just flatly saying, no, we're not going to do it. You'll see that the first and second temple were destroyed around this time, that, that other battles and invasions and exiles and things of this nature happened on Tishbaav. So this is a very, very sad story. All through that night, the entire community raised up their voices and the people wept. All B'nai Israel, all the children of Israel grumbled. That grumbling is contagious. It's like a virus. It's like a cancer. It spreads. You know, just as a smile can be contagious or a yawn can be contagious, complaints can be contagious. All of B'nai Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole community said, If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in the wilderness. Why is Adonai bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be like plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? See, they're, they're, they're so pessimistic. They think that they, there's no way that they can win against these giants. Regardless of God saying, hey, I promised it. We're going we're gonna to do this. It's going to be done. It's a done deal. Why has Adonai uh, brought us into this land to, to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be like plunder. They, you know, their worst fears will come to pass. You know, they, they, they say that our wives and our children will be like plunder. Well, their wives are going to die. Because we'll see that God says anybody, you know, that 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 uh, was was uh, marked 20 to 60 in the census, they're going to die in the wilderness. The teenagers get a free pass. So the wives were going to die, but the children were not going to be taken plunder. The children were actually going to be the ones that were going to go in and conquer the promised land. Would it have been better that we have returned to Egypt? And they said to each other, let's choose a leader and let's go back to Egypt. They are they the 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 the, the crowd. The, the, the children of Israel, by taking word of these 10 uh, elders, these 10 spies, the emotions were at a fever pitch. They were getting ready to, to stone uh, uh, Moses and Aaron. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire community, uh, before the entire assembly of the community of B'nai Israel, the children of Israel. You know, they, they, were, they were praying, Lord, do something. <laughs> Lord, what are we going to do? I don't think that they were pleading for mercy from the crowd. They were immediately going before the throne of God. Verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, they already knew that Joshua was on Moses' side. Joshua was, was Moses' protege since the very beginning. So they knew what his opinion was. They knew where he stood. They didn't necessarily know where Caleb stood. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. At this point, they knew where these two spies stood. They tore their clothes in grief and mourning because of the decision of the children of Israel to say, no, we won't go. No, we won't obey God. No, we won't take the promised land. We're going to believe the opinion uh, and, and, and the word of these ten spies. They said to the whole assembly of B'nai Israel, Joshua and Caleb, the land through which we passed is exceptionally good land. 
If Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land and give it to us. All we got to do is please him. How do you please Adonai? It's very, very simple. You don't have to jump through hoops. All you got to do is obey. Just do what he said. Simple as that. You know, when did I get along best with my parents? When I obeyed them. When I did what they said. I didn't get along good with my parents. And I experienced punishment when I didn't do what they said. If Adonai is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Adonai. What's rebellion? Not doing what Adonai says. He says, take the land. They said, no, we're scared. No, we don't believe you. We'd rather believe fall, frail, human, fearful human beings than to believe you, the omniscient, omnipotent, um, all-powerful, almighty God. Only don't rebel against Adonai and don't be afraid of the people of the land. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They were giants, but guess what? They had fortified cities. If they were, if they were truly confident in their, their power and their ability and their being untouchable, they wouldn't be living behind 30-foot thick walls. So these giants were kind of scared. Scared of what? Well, probably scared of each other because you had one giant tribe against another giant tribe. Uh, but they were fearful, so they built walls. So it says, only do not rebel against Adonai, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They will be food for us. You're saying that they're going to eat us alive. You said it's a land that, 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 uh, it, that consumes its inhabitants. You know, it's not that if the land was so big that you got lost in it. That Yes, that was implied, but it, it also literally consumed the land. The inhabitants of the land uh, consumed other people because these giants were cannibals. And so they're saying, look, you, you're saying that they're going to eat us alive. We're going to eat them. They're going to be food for us, not that they were literally going to cannibalize these giants, but we were going to swallow up everything that they had. They will be food for us. The protection over them is gone. What protection did these giants have? What protection did these Canaanites have? Well, they had their guardian angel, their fallen guardian angel who they worshipped as a god who portrayed itself as a god, a deity of Canaan. Uh, you know, th th that, that, that protection was gone because it was no match for Adonai. Not only that, but according to rabbinic tradition, the Job still lived at this time. He was, he was the only one that was holding the righteousness of Canaan land together. And because of his merit alone and his righteousness alone, uh, the Canaanites were untouchable. But he had just recently died, according to rabbinic tradition, so their protection is gone. Their righteous advocate Job is gone. Not only that, but remember God said uh, you know, to, to the patriarchs, I'm not going to give you this land now because the Amalekites or, or you know, the, the Amorites, rather, their, their sin has not reached a fever pitch. Their, their, their uh, sin has not... Uh, deemed for me to judge them yet. The, the the judgment meter has not been filled up. The the rain gauge of judgment has not been filled, but now it has. So now's the right time to go and take the land, but you said no. Their protection over them is gone. Adonai is with us. Do not fear them. But the whole assembly talked about violently stoning them. Not only were they going to lynch Moses and Aaron, they were going to get rid of Joshua and Caleb as well. Anybody who had a different opinion than the, than the ten spies, they were going to get rid of. Isn't, isn't it like what today is? You know, if you go against the narrative of wokeness, all of a sudden they want to get rid of you. They want to cancel you, which is a nice way of, of basically stoning you in this modern day and age. We'll just, we'll just cancel you. 
we'll take away your platform, we'll take away every, your influence, we'll take away everything. But the whole assembly talked about violently stoning them. Instead of hearing what they had to say and weighing that opinion and researching jo what Joshua and Caleb said, they decide to go with the majority. Then the glory of Adonai appeared at the tent of meeting to all B'nai Israel. God shows up. He shows up, it says, in a thick cloud, a dark cloud. That's not a good sign. That means he's angry. Adonai said to Moses, how long will these people treat me contemptibly? How long will they neglect trust in me? In spite of all the miraculous signs that I've performed among them, you know, defeating the, the pantheon of Egypt, the manna, the water from the rock, the turning the bitter water sweet, all these things, I will strike them with the plague and I will destroy them. But, but you, I will make into a, a, a nation greater and stronger than they. This was a little test for Moses to see if Moses, because remember just a chapter or two before he says, oh God, if you love me, kill me. Why do I have to babysit these people? I didn't give birth to these people. He wanted out of it. And this was, this God was offering him an out, but he was testing Moses because Moses had to prove his true love and sacrificial love for this people, which he did. He stood in the gap each and every time. At one point, he says, if you're going to blot their names out, blot my name out too. That's, that's pretty powerful. And so he basically negotiates with the Lord. A lot of times we feel like we can't debate with the Lord. But if you listen to Moses and you read the prophets, you read of Abraham and, and the story of Lot and the, and the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, you'll see that the, the, the patriarchs and the prophets, they negotiated with God all the time. God is always there for an open conversation. We can sway God with our words, uh, you know, not that we can manipulate him, but he will take our opinion and our words and our thoughts into consideration before he makes a final decision, because God is a holy, fair, loving and just God. It says, then the glory of Adonai appeared in the tent of meeting to Albany Israel. Adonai said to Moses, how long will these people treat me contemptibly? How long will they neglect to trust me? In spite of all the miraculous signs that I have performed among them, I will strike them with a plague and I will destroy them but you I will make into a nation greater and stronger than they. And Moses said to Adonai, wait a minute, God, <laughs> the Egyptians will hear about it because you brought up this people by your power from among them, and they will tell the residents of the land about it. Already they have heard about you, Adonai. Adonai, um, uh, you are in the midst of your people, and you, Adonai, have, have been seen eye to eye, that your cloud remains over them. And that in the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, you go before them. If you kill these people all at once, then the nations who have heard it, heard this report, will say about you, because Adonai was unable to bring this people to the land he promised them. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. So please let Adonai show his strength, just as you have spoken, saying, Adonai is slow to anger. Look, Moses is using God's own words and reminding God of his own words. God said words similar to this when Moses was getting the law at Mount Sinai. And Moses said, let me see you. He says, I can't. I'll let you see my backside. He, he, he uh, protected him in the cleft of the rock. And as Adonai passed, he said words similar to this. Adonai is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquities and transgressions. Still, he does not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation, forgiving now the guiltless, forgiving now the guiltless of the people, according in accordance with the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have pardoned the people from Egypt until now. Adonai answered, 
I have forgiven them just as you have spoken. Okay, Moses, you're the advocate. You stood in the gap. I'm going to do as you say. You make sense here. I can see that you truly love this people. I can see that you really don't want out of the leadership position. But as certainly as I live and as certainly as the glory of Adonai fills the earth, none of the people who saw my glory and miraculous signs I performed in Egypt in the, or in the, and in the wilderness yet tested me these ten times. Tested me these ten times. Okay, there were ten spies. Ten spies brought back a bad report. That's one of the interpretations of testing these ten times. The, the second brings out actually ten instances where the children of Israel tested the Lord's patience. At the sea in Exodus 14.11, at the waters of Marah, Exodus 15.24, when they went without food in Exodus 16.13, all these times they moaned and complained and rebelled against God. Gathering the manna on the Sabbath day when they shouldn't, Exodus 16.20, uh, in Exodus 16.27, at Rephidim, Exodus 7.2, uh, the incident of the golden calf, Exodus uh, 32.4, their murmurings in Numbers 11.1, 11, uh, they're complaining about the manna in Numbers 11.4, and finally in uh, Numbers 14, believing the spies' evil report. Those are the ten times that they rebelled and complained against Adonai that's mentioned here. They tested me these ten times and did not obey my voice. Not one of them will see the land. So everyone that was in the census from 20 years to 60 years, they were all going to die. They were all going to die before they reached the promised land. Now, it's interesting that they were to turn back and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Actually, it was 39 years because God was counting the time, the year that they had spent in the wilderness already as time served. And that was merciful right there. So it says, not one of them will see the land I have promised to their forefathers. None of them who treated me with contempt will see it. And, and the Levites, just as they didn't participate in the worship of the golden calf, the Levites didn't participate in the rebellion. So the Levites uh, survived. Uh, the, the elders of, of the Levites survived. Uh, however, my servant Caleb, because of a, because a different spirit is within him and he is wholeheartedly behind me, I will bring him into the land where he went. His offspring will inherit it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are inhabiting the, land, the valley, turn back tomorrow and set out for the wilderness, uh, uh, wilderness route towards the Red Sea. They're just going to have to turn right back around and go back to where they came from. Now, you know, this whole Levite thing, that's according to rabbinic tradition, but it sounds pretty you know, legit to me because Levi, Levi was never really considered or counted as a part of Israel. Remember, they were separated from Israel to be the mediators between God and Israel. So, you know, it, you know I could believe that, that, uh, you know, Joshua and Caleb survived, but a lot of the Levites that were older probably and may have survived as well. Uh, it just kind of goes without saying. Okay, uh, so as we know, the Exodus represents deliverance and freedom from sin, and it represents being born again. The wilderness represents our journey through our walk of faith, our, our walk after being born again. The promised land represents heaven. It represents the world to come. Now, I'd like to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, and the Arabah, opposite of Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and D. Zahib. Uh, it's 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So basically, uh, it was just an 11 day journey 
from where they were to really, uh, you know, they, it, it just basically it could have taken 11 days to get from where they were to the promised land and conquer the promised land. But those 11 days turned into 40 years because they said no, because they rebelled against God. God said, take the land. They decided to believe the evil report of the 10 spies, and they said no. They reacted out of fear and acted in rebellion. The, an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year wandering. Now, the Exodus generation, the one who's seen the, the pantheon of Egypt defeated and seen the plagues, the Exodus generation didn't even make it to the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Not even Moses made it, if you'll remember. Why? Was it because they said no? No, I don't necessarily think it was because they said no. Because even when they said no, they had a chance to change their mind when Joshua and Caleb spoke and said, hey, this is a great land. Let's do it. Don't do this. Don't make this rash decision like this. Consider what we're saying. Consider how faithful our God has been to us up to this point. We have no reason not to believe him that the land is good and that we can conquer it, that he's with us. So it's not necessarily because they, because they said no, because Moses said no at first. When he said, go deliver my children from Egypt, he's like, no, 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 God, you got the wrong guy. No. But then Moses changed his mind after God uh, uh, persuaded him and showed him some convincing signs saying, don't worry, I got this under control. I'll be with you. Whatever your concern is, I'll address it and, and I'll, I'll meet that need. So Moses at first said no when he was called, but eventually became convinced to go to Egypt. So I don't necessarily think it was because the children of Israel initially said no. Remember in Math, the parable that Yeshua told in Matthew chapter 21, verses uh, 28 uh, through 32. It says, Now what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And the son said, I won't. But after he had changed, after he had a change of heart, he went. The man went to the second son and said the same thing, but he answered, I will, sir, but he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? The first, they said. Yeshua said to them, Amen, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are going ahead of you into the kingdom of God. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. Even after uh, you saw this, you had no change of heart to believe in him. So in this parable, Yeshua gives the example of these two sons, where the father says, hey, go into my field and work. And one of them says, nah, I don't feel like it. But later he says, you know what? I should. I love my dad. I should do. I should respect my dad and do what my dad says. And at first he rebelled and said, no, I won't. But then he had a change of heart. Just as Israel had the opportunity to have a change of heart when Joshua and Caleb spoke, uh, so this son had a change of heart and he went and did the work anyway. But then you had this one son says, sure, pop, I'll go. You know, but then he didn't go. So even though he said yes, uh, verbally, his heart said no. And the first son, his, he verbally said no, but his heart ended up saying yes. So I don't think it's necessarily because the children of Israel said no. It's just that, uh, you know, when they had a second chance to change their mind, they didn't take it. The children of Israel said no, even after the attempt to convince them to go was given. For even the, the ten spies that brought back an evil report said how good the land was. In Numbers chapter 13, starting with verse 26, it says, They traveled and returned to Moses and Aaron and the entire community of Bnei Israel, the children of Israel at Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran. They gave the report to them in the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit. 
remember, it was such a big cluster of grapes that it had it, that it had to be carried by two guys between a pole. Um, they gave their report to the entire assembly. They showed the land's fruit. They gave their account to them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. And indeed, you what you said is true. What God said is true. It is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruits. Except the people living in the land. Okay, now they're saying, okay, there's the good news. Here's the bad news. The people living in the land are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. Which if they're fortified, yeah, that'd be intimidating. But it means that they have something to hide. It means that they're scared of something. We saw even the Anak there. Who were the Anak? Anak was was the giants, the Genesis six giants, the 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 giants um, <clears throat> where it says that they were during that time and afterwards. They were the ones that eventually Goliath would come from. Amalek is living in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the mountains, and the Canaanites are living near the sea along the bank of the Jordan. Look, we're outnumbered. We're outgunned. Verse 30, then Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, we should definitely go and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. It's a big deal that these guys are taller than we are. Big deal that they're, they outnumber us. God is with us. With God, we make a majority. If he conquered the, 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 the Egyptian pantheon, the Canaanite pantheon, and the, and, and the Canaanite people will be no problem. Uh, verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack these people because they are stronger than we are. You know, sometimes it's not about brawn, it's about brains, right? Strategy sometimes can, can uh, uh, be greater than, than firepower. Verse 32, they, sp they spread among B'nai Israel a bad report. This bad report is actually the word in Hebrew for evil, an evil report, because they were basically convincing the people and influencing the people to rebel against God and to not be faithful to God, not believe God, but to basically their evil report was implying that God is not faithful, God is not true, that God is lying, that God has something to hide, that God intends bad for them. They spread among B'nai Israel a bad report about the land that they had explored, saying, the land through which we pass to devours its, its residents. Uh, not just that it's so big that it swallows up the people and you get lost easily, but it literally devours its inhabitants because the Canaanites were cannibalistic people. The giants were, were, were cannibalistic people. They were literally afraid of getting cannibalized, eaten. And the people we saw there are men of great size. We also saw there the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are from the Nephilim. We, okay, those are the giants, Genesis 6 giants. We, we seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. Okay, they're admitting here. We have a complex. We have a Napoleon complex. Well, not necessarily a Napoleon complex, but we have a complex. We don't see ourselves as strong. We don't see ourselves as able and capable. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. So the way, in other words, this is teaching us a lesson here. The way you view yourself is the way other people will view you. It's kind of like prison. When somebody goes to prison, you can't show fear. You can't show uh, intimidate. You know, you can't show you're being intimidated. You got to be strong. You know, you got to prove yourself. But if they smell fear and they see that you are fearful and that that you don't see yourself as strong, then they won't see you as strong. And you'll be taken advantage of in prison. Kind of the same thing. We seemed like grasshoppers in our eyes as well as theirs. Because we thought of ourselves as lowly, they thought of us as lowly. Okay, continuing on to chapter 14. 
This is what we read at the beginning. All through that night, the entire community raised up their voices and they wept. They said, this is a hopeless, pointless cause. All of B'nai Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole community said, if only we had died in Egypt, if only we had died in the wilderness, why is Adonai bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be like plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So I want to focus in on verse 30 of chapter 13. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should, we should definitely go. Don't listen to these ten. Listen to me. We should definitely go and capture the land, for we certainly can do it. We can do it. He had faith. He had belief in God. And he was trying to convince the people. Now, this is to teach us, don't take the experts' word for it. Don't, just because the majority rules, just because somebody has a doctorate or a PhD or is some sort of scientist or expert or whatever, don't take their word at face, don't, don't believe them. Research what they said. The Apostle Paul himself praised the Bereans because he went to try to convince them through the Torah that Yeshua is the Messiah. And it's not like they said, oh yeah, we totally believe you. You're, you're, after all, you're a Pharisaical rabbi. You, you, you were next in line on the Sanhedrin. So, yeah, sure, we believe you. No, they said, uh, we're going we're gonna to research this. And they went back to the Torah and researched everything Paul said. And they said, hey, you're right. So do your homework. Don't, don't just watch the news and believe it. Don't just listen to experts and believe it. Do your own homework. Do your own research because a lot of times you'll find that the experts, air quotes there, are actually wrong. So don't take the experts' word for it. As 1 John 4, 1 through 6 says, test the spirits. Test the spirits to see if what is being said is real and true and valid. Be a Berean. Just as, I mean, sure, you can trust Paul's words, but Paul praised the Bereans. He didn't get offended because they didn't believe him. He praised them because he, they studied out what he said. They didn't believe him. They went to prove it themselves. Revelation 21.8. What does Revelation 21.8 say? Let's go there. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly, other translation says the fearful and faithless and detestable and murderers and sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their lot is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8 tells us who will not enter the eternal promised land, and that's liars and the faithless and the fearful. All that equals to, say, the grumblers, the complainers. Now, as we read in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, by their reaction, by their weeping and crying and believing the evil report of the ten spies, they were basically calling God a liar. They were faithless. They were fearful. They basically called God a liar by not believing him. Could they not remember God's own words from Exodus chapter 3, verse 17? So I promise I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt. That promise has been fulfilled through the ten plagues, through the parting of the Red Sea, 
So I promise I will bring you out of the afflictions of Egypt. If God fulfilled that promise, why didn't the children of Israel believe that we, he would fulfill the second half of that promise in verse 17, which says, So I promise I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. They believe the words of ten fall frail human beings rather than an infinite God who says, if I brought you out of Egypt, don't you think I can bring you into the promised land? Perhaps Caleb remembered this promise, and that's why he said, we should definitely go and capture the land, for we certainly can do it. Now, God promises us a lot of things. It's not necessarily that we just sit back and let him fulfill the promises. Sometimes there's a part that we play in uh, that fulfillment of the promise. God wasn't just going to allow the children of Israel to waltz right in uh, and immediately take over the promised land. They had to fight for it, but God promised, I'm giving it to you. It's yours. There's some work that you have to do to earn it, so to speak, but I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to give it to you. Look, grumbling is a sign and a symptom of fear, which is the opposite of faith. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is doubt. Faith is belief. Fear is mistrust. Faith is trust. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 1 through 7. The writer of Hebrews, which in my opinion I think is Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, he says, Let us fear then. Let us have a reverential, godly fear. Though a through a promise of entering his left, uh, entering his rest is left open. In other words, every one of us has the opportunity to enter God's rest. He's using this story of going into the promised land, of taking the promised land that we just read. And he's using this story as a spiritual analogy. He says, let us fear then, though a promise of entering his, his rest is left open, some of you would seem to have fallen short. Who, who fell short in the story that we just read in, in Numbers? It was the 10 spies that, that brought an evil report. It was those among the, the children of Israel who believed the report and said, we can't enter the land, we can't take the land. It's too big, it's too big of a task. The giants are too, too big and powerful. They outnumber us, we're outgunned, we're outnumbered. Let us fear then, though a promise of entering his rest is left open, some of you would seem to have fallen short. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us. The good news in numbers was that Joshua and Caleb said, oh yeah, God's with us, we can take it, we can take him, you know, we can take this land. For we also have had good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the word they heard did not help them, because they were not unified with those who listened in faith. For we have trusted and entered into that rest. It is just as God has said, So in my wrath I swore they shall never enter my rest, even though his works were finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere, he had spoken about the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. Okay, we'll just go ahead and, uh, uh, no, we'll just keep reading. And again, in this passage, they shall never enter my rest. So 
So then it remains for some to enter into it, yet those who formerly had good news proclaimed to them did not enter because of disobedience. Again, God appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Again, the sin of the community was not necessarily saying no because they had a chance to change their mind and say yes um, at the word of Joshua and Caleb. This offer to go into the promised land was time sensitive. God said, go now. And they said, no. No, we're not going to go. God's offers sometimes have time limits. You know, can you just catch a bus any old time you want? You know, when you woke up for school, you knew, let's say that your bus was always at your door at 7.17 a.m. And if you weren't there at 7.17 a.m., the bus would just drive and pass on by. You couldn't sleep in and think that you could catch the bus at 7.20, 7.30, no, you had to be there for 7.17. If not, you missed the bus and either had to walk to school or find a ride some way, somehow. It's like one of these coupons. The coupon is only good for before the expiration date. And let's say somebody takes this coupon and tries to redeem this coupon one day after the expiration date. Are they going to get, are they going to be able to redeem the coupon and get the deal they want? No. Because the coupon has expired. The offer on the coupon has expired. It's too late. And so the same with children of Israel. It was too late. You know, it, it's like a parent when they're saying, you know, um, if you don't do this, Johnny, you're going to be punished. Johnny keeps doing it. Johnny, if you keep doing this, you're going to be punished. Johnny keeps doing it. Finally, the parent has it, says, okay, Johnny, I'm going to give you a spanking. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, I'm sorry, I'll be good, I promise, I'll be good. And he says all that to try to belay a punishment, to belay getting spanked. But his parent says, no, I already warned you twice. It's too late. Three strikes, you're out. It's time for punishment. So this is exactly what happened with the children of Israel. After God, you know, throws down the gavel and says, all right, that's it. Turn your butts around and go back to where you came from. You're going to go in the, in the wilderness for 40 years, and all of you who were against me are going to die. And the second generation, the very children you said were going to be taken as plunder, they're going to conquer the land. So it says in chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 39. Um, okay, yeah. When Moses related these things to all the children of Israel, the people mourned bitterly. They rose up the next morning and went up to the high mountain saying, Look, let's go up to the place where Adonai has promised, for we have sinned. So at the beginning of chapter 14, it says, All through the night the entire community raised up their voices and wept. All the children of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole community said, If we had only died in Egypt, if we had only died in the wilderness, why is Adonai bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we've gone to return to Egypt? No, God. We're going to believe the ten spies. We're not going to go and enter the land. Moses says, fine. God says, you're not going to enter the land. You, says, you think you can't do it? Then you won't do it. 
you're going to die in the wilderness. Oh, 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 well, in that case, we're sorry. We're sorry, God. We changed our minds. We're sorry. We'll be good. We promise. We'll do what you say. But Moses says it's too late. And so they try to prove to God that they're ready to take the promised land. It says they rose up the next morning and went, uh, and went up to the high mountain saying, look, you know, we've got our armor on. We've got our swords, our shields, all of our weapons. We're, we're mobilized. Look, let's go up to the place which Adonai promised, for we have sinned. We recognize our sin. We're, we're sorry. We're going to do what he says. Verse 41. But Moses says, why are you disobeying the mouth of God? They're thinking, what do you mean disobey? God said, take the land. And Moses had to remind them, yes, but remember, he also said, turn around and go back into the wilderness. It's too late. Why are you disobeying the mouth of God? That will never succeed. You missed the bus. The coupon has expired. Verse 42, you should not go up because Adonai will not be among you and you will be defeated before your enemies. For the Amalekites and Canaanites are there in front of you and you will fall by the sword. Adonai will not be with you because you turned away from following Adonai. You missed the bus. The coupon has expired. But presumptuously, they went up to the high mount, mountain country. They thought, oh, well, God knows we're sorry. Look, we're doing what God said in the first place. Isn't that what he wanted all along? But presumptuously, they went up to the high mount, mountain country. Though the ark of Adonai's covenant, uh, though neither the ark of Adonai's covenant nor Moses moved from within the camp. The Amalekites and Canaanites lived in the mountain country and came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Horma. After a sentence has been decreed, you can't say you're sorry and expect everything to be fine. You're in a court of law. You're accused of a crime. The gavel comes down and the judge gives a sentence. Eh, 20 years in prison. Oh, I'm sorry, judge. I promise I'll be good. See, I'll do this. I'll do community service. See, I'll pay this fine. See, I'll do this. See, I'm sorry. Will the judge say, oh, well, gee, shucks, in that case? No, the judgment has already been passed. The judgment had already been passed on the children of Israel. They had their chance to repent. They had their chance to believe Joshua and Caleb. They didn't. And then once the gavel came down and God gave the sentence, 40 years in the wilderness, and you're all going to die. Oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll do what you ask. We'll do what you, you said in the first place. No, you missed the bus. The coupon has expired. This is to teach us how important it is to obey what God says, to do what he asks, to do what he requires. This is also a lesson that the majority is not always right. This is a lesson that we should research what people tell us and what is said to us to find out to see if it's true, to weigh out um, all sides of the argument, to weigh out all the evidence and make an informed decision for ourselves. And part of that uh, evaluation is asking the Holy Spirit, which if you're saved is inside you, because the word says that the, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. Lord, show me what is right. Show me what is true. I'm getting this scholar that says this and this pastor or this rabbi who says that, but I want to know the truth. I just don't want to take their word for it. What do, what do you say? What does your spirit say? What does your word say? I want to obey and do what your, what your word says, even if it means I'm all alone in this, even if it means I'm the only one that's doing this. I want to do what's right because I know that if I do what's right, you're going to be on my side, Lord, and you're going to bless me. Guys, thanks for listening. Go out there and have a great day. Have a great week. Shabbat Shalom.
Shalom and Shavuot Tov.